photography, secret, photocopy. Code Zeus, decode. 23rd August 1945. To AC of S, G2, Usfet. Sources interrogated Northern Italy report rail and truck shipments of aircraft parts, ordnance, via Kufstein, Graz, and Udine. Said to be directed to communist partisans, but I can offer no confirmation as yet. Bianco. Copy. Copy. Code Zeus. Decode. 25th August 1945. To ACFS G2. Usfet. Reliable partisan informant says undetermined number of B-17 bombers, parts, ammo are being shipped to city of Udine, Italy and its province, stored at unknown facility by personnel of undetermined nationality. More later. Bianco. For your eyes only. File number 22083A, 5th September 45. To Gladiator from Brandt. Subject, Operation Tailspin. 1. Must stress the transcendent importance of this matter. We cannot afford to have anyone in ETO military establishment outside our group gain knowledge of Tailspin at this point. 2. The only individuals privy to our plan, besides you and I, are chocolate, Mint and licorice. Any and all others must be considered to be a threat. 3. Therefore, maximum surreptitious effort must be made to divert or neutralize Sunderman and Bianco. The importance of this cannot be overemphasized. 4. Handle at once. Urgent. For your eyes only. Chapter 1. Stalin had not invaded Western Europe and swept to the English Channel after all, thanks to a secret meeting in Potsdam at which Harry Truman had assured the Generalissimo, nose to nose with only interpreters present, that one step into the U.S., British, or French zones of occupation would get the Muscovite's ass smithereened. So went the disappointed gossip among certain headquarters denizens of rank and privilege and school ties who were never so much at peace as when the nation was at war. The members of this clubby stratum were key among those who composed and conducted the assorted Looney Tunes issuing from the United States Forces European Theater, acronymed USFET. As such, they dealt daily with the paper blizzard that swirled into Frankfurt from Washington and London and Bern and Moscow and Tokyo, and because they were major contenders in the executive one-upmanship Olympics, it was simple off-duty reflex for each to pass along whatever arcana might suggest his closeness to Eisenhower, the archetypal one-upper. Since a Stalin move to exploit the Western European political vacuum had been smugly anticipated by these cognoscenti, it was with ashen face and trembling lip that G-2's Lieutenant Colonel William B. Fatso Gruber assembled the group in the Command Staff Officers Club at Schloss Kronberg to whisper of events at the Potsdam Summit Conference. The group sat in silence, each dealing in his own way with the understanding that Truman's bantam pugnacity and Stalin's timidity in the face of what stateside papers were now calling the A-bomb portended an early return to dreary civilian careers. The portent was certified by Gruber's additional bad news. G2 himself would soon suffer the Academy man's equivalent by being Z-eyed, returned to the zone of the interior, so as, it was rumored, to take command of that great limbo in the Maryland hills 
the War Department Intelligence Training Center. And, as a sorry consequence, he was about to break in his successor in Frankfurt, the disgustingly competent, outrageously popular, and adroitly political colonel, soon to be Brigadier General, Amos T. Donlevy, much admired by the Pentagon for his ability to perform inside the trade as a by-the-book hard-ass, while performing outside as a cuddly, pipey Uncle Fudd, adored equally by congressmen and clodhoppers. As Gruber put it, The sumbish out Ike's Ike, for Christ's sake. Beyond Gruber's clack of headquarters doomsayers, most of the others comprising Yusfet's bulk, those millions of Andy Hardys whose preoccupation was the transformation of G.I. cigarettes into Nazi ceremonial daggers and relatively sanitary poontang, were happily and drunkenly oblivious to the storm clouds of impending peace. For them, browsing as they were among the charms of equally sozzled frawl lines from the North Sea to the Tyrol, Stalin and his thwarted geopolitical machinations were of as much concern as the temperature extremes on Jupiter. Kaufman, because he was a mere major and a counterintelligence staff officer, was excluded from Gruber's circle, and because he was college-educated and had a manageable sex drive and a vague dislike of those given to turpitude, was generally unqualified for membership in the bottom-side masses. His office was sufficiently critical and influential, however, for him to pick up the jungle drums that told of the secret confrontation at Potsdam and Stalin's subsequent subsidence. Being unconcerned with warmongering and or hedonism, he was one of the few among Yusfet headquarters personnel to have given the rumbling much thought. Once he had, he was by no means convinced that Stalin had withdrawn to his cave to sulk. Because if there was anything Joe Stalin wasn't, it was timid. Something's going on, he said aloud, staring into his coffee cup. Something wretched. He was lunching alone, as was becoming standard these days. Most of the old crowd had already shipped out for the Z.I., and most of the new crowd were fuzz-faced sightseers who had spent the war years in saddle shoes and letter sweaters, and, now equipped with ROTC commissions, had come to Germany to do the conqueror's strut among the ruins. You wish something, sir? No, Anna. I was merely talking to myself. Anna Krim was his favorite waitress. She took her work very seriously and because she was a child and sensationally round here and there, and had ice-blue Nordic eyes, she usually managed to look marvelous while doing it. But today her teenage beauty was overcast. Are you all right, Anna? Sir? You don't seem yourself. You seem to be upset, worried about something. Is something wrong? Her smooth cheeks reddened, and her eyes showed sudden tears. No, sir. You certainly look upset to me. Is there anything I can do to help you? She hurried off, disappearing through the service door. He subdued the impulse to follow after her and to hold her in his arms and demand to know who was abusing her. All he could possibly get out of that would be more of her evasions, and the kitchen help's suspicions that he was a dirty old man trying to exploit a nubile youngster's broken heart. And perhaps he would be in the sense that he might, in some sick variation of narcissism, be playing to his own loneliness, his own share of the soldier's chronic hunger for sympathy and tenderness. 
So go and weep, Anna baby. Cry your goddamn eyes out. Kaufman's got his own problems. His table was in an isolated corner of the Farben Casino's sunlit rooftop, a spread of concrete and dusty potted plants fashioned into something resembling a California cocktail lounge. It offered a dramatic panorama with the moonscape rubble of Frankfurt in the foreground, the Mine River mid-distant, and the blue foothills of the Taunus Range dotting the far horizon. A soft autumn breeze stirred in the trees, and there was the smell of wood smoke. Kaufman considered all this broodingly. How many Hunzels and Gretels and Grandmas and Pooches and Canaries still sprawled in undetected pieces under those dunes of broken masonry? Eisenhower had ordered the 8th Air Force's bombing crews to spare the Farben building complex so that he might use it as a headquarters once the war against the German, as he and his topsiders put it so preciously, had been won. The crews, legions of smiling jacks in crushed hats and leather jackets and menin's aftershave, had done precisely that, so efficiently that, while barely a twig had been broken in the Farben's fancy landscaping, the blocks of homes across the bordering street were now toothpicks and gravel. A tribute to American know-how, he thought wryly. German bombers blow hell out of London, killing nannies and tots and parakeets in wasteful willy-nilly, but good old Yankee ingenuity enables our bombers to blow hell out of Frankfurt, killing only certain nannies at all. What a crummy world. He sighed. Well, you keep your eyes on the gutter, you never see the stars. A shadow fell across.